Well, good morning. Yeah, that was pretty good. Well, I'm glad that you're here this morning. We're uh, going to be getting into our Bibles. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to be starting. We're going to be hanging out there and in Ephesians later on. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some friendly people just coming down the aisle right now. Make sure you get your hand up and get a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take this home as our gift to you this morning. It's sweet to be with you, and it's sweet to have the opportunity to preach uh, God's word to you this morning, even if there is a bow on the front of this thing. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that. That's all right. We have some decorations that are here from the high school. We appreciate uh, the use of this facility, and it's, uh, it's a sweet opportunity to gather here. But we gather here to lift high the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. He's worthy to receive all the glory that we can give him this morning. And as we open up his words for us, it's a precious, precious thing. We're going to be continuing with the Real Marriage series. We've been kind of walking through that on and off lately. And today will be the last of the messages in this series. It'll be on navigating brokenness in marriage. Now, you might think of navigating brokenness in one, in one way, but really what we're talking about is navigating the brokenness that we all experience, myself included, in marriage. Marriage is difficult, but as you've heard throughout this, this series, marriage is also a beautiful opportunity. It's an opportunity to image. It's like a living parable of God's gospel love for us the unity that we have with him, his covenant faithfulness to us, the church, also called his bride. Therefore, today, as I'm going to get into some stuff, you're going you're to hear things like, hey, hey, be patient, be kind, be forgiving. Why? Why? Because he's been patient, he's been kind, he's been forgiving towards us. We have been graciously loved we didn't deserve it. We've been graciously loved and it brought about peace with God. And it brought about our unity with him. And therefore we are in our marriages to graciously love one another, even when they don't deserve it, to bring about peace and unity in our marriages. One thing that's true, one thing that you've probably thought in the back of your mind is that marriage is hard Living out that gospel love to a spouse is difficult. And if anything is true in all of history, as you examine your life, you examine human history, and you examine what it, what it took for Jesus to make us his own, it costs you. It costs him dearly. He came as a man, a baby, in a manger. We celebrate that at Christmas. Do you, do you understand? That means... He, as a baby, was put in a food trough. He lived as a man dealing with misery. He was rejected. Often, often poor, acquainted with grief. Ultimately, he was murdered. He was murdered, listen. He was murdered to save the ones that he came for. You see, Jesus at Christmas, he left he left behind his comforts. He left behind his acceptance, his security, his pleasures in heaven to pursue a unity with us, his bride to the glory of God the Father. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve such beautiful grace, such beautiful effort. But in his getting low, he has been given the name that is above every other name. It's the name that we sing. It's what we sung about today. Worthy is the Lamb. We sing about Jesus to his glory. Therefore, today, today, the call is a call to difficulty. It's a call to marital faithfulness, to unity, to love, but it's a call to die. It's a call to die to your own desires for comfort your own desires for acceptance, your own desires for security, your own desires for pleasure, and to graciously, with a gospel love towards your spouse, lay yourself down to make sacrifices for God's glory. For your good, but for God's glory, knowing that he will reward in due time. 
It's a tough thing that we're going to talk about here today. I got to acknowledge there's people that have walked in here today and they're exhausted. They are disheartened at the state of their marriage. Christmas is coming and it feels heavy in their home. It's difficult to talk about this. Because I know there's people that have walked in here that feel like there can be no recovery for their marriage. Friends, navigating brokenness in marriage, the thing we're talking about today, is impossible. Except, except that the Holy Spirit is with us. It is, it is impossible, it is hopeless, except that the power that rose Christ from the grave is dwelling in you, and he desires, friends, listen, he desires to see your marriage revived. He desires to see your marriage resurrected. Know this, if you feel like today you walked in here and you're alone, you're not. You're not. He is for you. He can give you the strength. He is with you in the fight for your marriage. Friend, you may feel like you have no strength. The news is this. You never had the strength to live out gospel love towards your spouse. But he gives you the strength. The other thing is this. You're not alone because you're part of a family. Look around. I'm serious. Look around. Might feel awkward. Look around. This is the family of God. All around you are sitting people that are willing to help in the fight for your marriage. They want to see your marriage not just survive, but thrive. You have small group leaders, coaches, pastors, deacons, elders, biblical soul care counselors, and lay counselors that are all dedicated to the fight for your marriage. You're not alone. We even have a marriage series that we're doing in January. We've got Pete and Beth Gibson right over here. Pete and Beth, I'm going to put you on the spot right here. Put your hands up. Let's see. These are some lovely people. They're going to be leading that series. They desire to help you, to encourage you as you navigate brokenness in your marriage and uphold the beauty that is marriage and the beauty of the gospel through your marriage. So whether you've come in here and, and you feel alone or you, maybe you come in here and your marriage is coming soon, you haven't even experienced the brokenness in it yet, maybe you're coming in here and you're experiencing the conflict for the first time in your marriage. Maybe you feel like your marriage is confusing right now. Maybe you know that your marriage has been growing cold lately or, or, or really there's, it's just overwhelmed in conflict and it feels like it's collapsing. Reach out. Reach out. You're not alone. Reach out to your family for biblical truth, for biblical care and counsel and correction. Friends, I want you to know this. This is what we believe here. As we get into this difficult topic, we believe this. Jesus came to mend the broken. Do you believe that? Amen. Jesus came to mend the broken. In fact, I'd submit that the deeper, the darker your circumstances are here today, the greater the potential for God to show his glory through your marriage, his gospel through your marriage. Because we were far away from him, but he came after us and he restored us to himself. And that is beautiful and that can be shown through your marriage. I would say this. You may have walked in here and thought, it's impossible. But what I'm saying here, I hope that you see today that while it is impossible you, it is not with you, it is not with God. Your impossible is a, way, is a testimony. It's a testimony in waiting to declare the glory and the power of God. Before we open his word, let's pray. Bow our heads. Our Father, it's a difficult, it's a difficult topic today. May your grace, may your peace be with us today as we open your word. Our Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, as we reflect upon your gospel, Lord God, as we seek to navigate brokenness in our marriages, I pray that you would give us an awe, an awe of your grace, your pursuit of us. The fact that we can have peace and unity with you the fact that you extended your love to us, that we might be with you. Though we were wretched, wretched, Lord God, you, you declare now we are 
your child. We are your bride. Lord God, I pray desperately that your spirit would move in power. Lord God, so that our relationships could be restored, so they can be a beautiful parable of your gospel goodness and faithfulness. Lord God, they're hurting around the room. There are marriages around the room. I pray that you would build them up in your gospel. Lord God, strengthen them in the power of the Spirit today that you might get the glory in your church. You might get the glory in their marriage. You might get the glory in our families and in this community. Lord God, that you might extend your glory to the ends of the earth, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We're gonna talk really about two questions today. Why does my marriage feel like the fight that it is? Why does it feel like I'm in a war? Why is it broken? All right, so why does my marriage feel like a war? Second is this, how? How do I fight for my marriage this morning? First question, why does my marriage feel like a war? The simple answer is this, because you're in one. Let's look to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we're going to read first. This is the start of the war. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her as he ate and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. What's happening here? There's a lot happening here. But I want you to see what's involved in this war. Because this war is declared right here. And right here we see that there is a war going on and it's lies versus truth. That's the ammunition. You see what Satan says. He says lies about God's word, about God's truth. You see him say this. Did God really say? (laughs) You won't die. Notice what the, what the woman does here. Notice what Eve does here. She adds a man-made rule. We're not even to touch it. Friends, some marriages are in a broken state because we misunderstand God's word. We have bad doctrine. We don't, we, we don't completely have a grasp of the truth, so we fall victim to the lies. That leads me to a question for you here this morning. Do you pick this up? Do you know God's truth? Have you examined this? Do you study this? Do you know it inside out and backwards? Are you growing in the knowledge of the truth? If not, how else do you plan to spot Satan's lies when he comes whispering, seeking to destroy your marriage? We need to be armed with the truth. Friends, if we leave our Bible on our nightstand and we don't pick it up, it's like going to war every day without a sword. We should not be shocked on the day that we feel overwhelmed in the battle if we have not picked up the word of truth. What's so true is this. We, every one of us, are so vulnerable to the lies of the evil one that we need to daily renew our mind in the word of God. We need, to, we need it. We need it on a daily basis or else he slips a lie in and another lie in and another lie in. Before we know it, we're divided. You see that there, this is a war of lies versus truth. You see here there's lies about God. There's lies about God. He's withholding some satisfaction from you, Eve. He knows something good is going to happen to you, and he's withholding it. You can't trust him. He's not for you. 
His instructions aren't for your good. There's a different way. There's a better way. Friends, some marriages here today are broken because we've stepped outside of God's instructions seeking a greater satisfaction. Seeking something that's outside of our design that's actually bad for us and for our marriages. In search of this greater satisfaction, some have gone to sex outside of marriage. Some have put the mission that marriage is meant to be on hold because you are pursuing satisfaction. You're busy pursuing the things of this world. The desires of this world, the achievement, the material things, the leisure, the pleasure. Sometimes we step outside of God's own design in our roles in marriage. Sometimes we step outside of what we ought to do in marriage in serving and in loving our spouse because we have a phone in front of our face. We don't give them the time to love them, to serve them. Don't be surprised when we step outside of God's instructions that we see devastation follows. And we're going to see that here today. So there's lies about God's word, his truth, and then there's lies about you. Underlying all of this is Satan's main appeal to everybody sitting here today. It's this. This world can be about your glory and what you can get out of it and not about God. You can rule. You can make your own decisions. You deserve to be self-centered. Go ahead. Choose your own path. Friends, that's poison for every person here, let alone every marriage. But it's also an appealing. It's an appealing poison. It's something that everybody here has fallen for. We've all become self-centered. And when we're self-centered and we seek to be one with another person, it never works out well. There will always be divide. There will always be conflict. And we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Let's continue in this passage. Let's look at verse 15. They've made this decision. And now there's going to be consequences to the decision. This is God speaking to this ancient serpent, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel, or you're going to strike his heel. What do we see here? We see that there is a war that has started. This is a war between Satan and Christ. This is a war that has been happening ever since. In fact, Ephesians 6 says you're in that war, friends. You're in the midst of this unseen war that has happened through all of history. And in a war, you need to be aware. You need to be aware that there's a fight going on around you. You need to be aware. And some of us, frankly, have believed some of the ammunition, the lies, for our entire life. We're not even, we're not even aware that we're bringing lies into our marriage. Maybe it's something that was seeded through an entertainment as a kid. Maybe it's something that happened through trauma. Maybe it's something you've, you've learned along the way from friends in school. But those lies are eating away. They're actively poisoning your marriage. Be wary. You're in a war. And sometimes you don't even realize when you've bought a lie. Verse 16 through 24. This is a longer section of scripture. I ask that you follow along with me. To the woman, as God is, again, he's talking about the consequences, the curses that come from believing the lie, from our sin. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. He commanded him. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your faith, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. To the man, the man then called his wife Eve because she was 
the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What do we see here? What are the effects of the war? We see right here the effects of the war is unity is broken everywhere. Relationships are broken everywhere. We see firstly here, and we saw that at the very end, that our relationship with God was broken and we were cast out of the garden. We're no longer able to be with him. What's beautiful about the gospel is this. You can now. You can be with him. In fact, he is pleased to dwell in you. You have faith in Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. While we are driven out, we can be with him now. Sadly, though, many of us are okay with God at a distance. You're okay visiting God on a Sunday, but not hanging out with him regularly. Friends, Marriages that leave God at a distance, they don't bring him into the midst of their relationship, can expect brokenness, can expect something lacking. We see a broken relationship with God. We also see here a broken relationship with the environment. This world is full of curveballs now, difficulties for your marriage. Listen, families are hard. Birth. I hear it's hard. But truly, pregnancy issues, kids, family drama, it's hard. Working is hard. It's a toil. Whether you're overworked or underworked, it brings strife into your marriage. Our bodies, our bodies are dying. We have sickness. We have loss. We have death. All of these are throwing curveballs into every marriage, into every relationship here today. The beauty of this is that while everything's broken right now, it's not going to be forever. We're going to sing that song, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain before him, with him, forever in a perfect place. I don't know about you, but that's good news on a tough day. We have brokenness in our relationship with people. This is where we're going to camp a lot today. Verse 7, we saw the fear of man has entered into their relationship. They now know not just good, but evil. And they know the evil that the other person is capable of, therefore. And so you can see them guarding, hiding. It's dividing them right away. They're making clothes for themselves. And they're hiding from one another with thoughts like, will you accept me? Can I trust you? What's beautiful that you're going to see here today is that the gospel helps fuel the restoration of those things, of these broken relationships. In verse 16, though, we see a unique thing that we're going to talk about a lot today. In verse 16, we see that there are now new and opposing desires. You're not always on the same page in your marriage, are you? You all want the same thing all the time? Come on. No, me and my husband have like the same brain. We're always on the same page. We want the exact same thing. It's like he has the same passions as me all the time. Come on, said no woman ever, right? (laughs) The reality is we have opposing desires. We have opposing things that we're going after. In fact, this is what makes submission and leadership so hard. It grades on us because we know that they have their own interests, their own wants, their own angle and desires that don't accord with ours. Some marriages here today feel like a war because of opposing desires, often selfish, destructive, earthly desires that are causing friction, that are causing issues in their relationship. And those desires are often fueling expectations upon your spouse. This is what I want. This is what you're helping me with. When those expectations aren't met, frustrations can creep in and conflict can come 
after bitterness has soured it for a while, and ultimately division comes. James 4, verses 1 and 2 puts it this way. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire to have, so you murder, and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. If I was to paraphrase for this for marriage, it might go something like this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights in your marriage? Is it not this, that your passions or your false heart idols that appeal to your flesh and your desires are at war within you? You want more sex, talk time, respect, money, quiet time, attention, and do not have, so you want out of your marriage. Or you demean your spouse with your words or your actions. You act selfish with your time. You become controlling. You disengage altogether. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel with your spouse. Anybody experience that in marriage? We all do. Friend, you might be experiencing that in marriage today, and you've even thought about separating. It's no surprise, really. It's no surprise that it's gotten there. We're in a war. Genesis 3, the war started, and those same lies, those same sins are still eroding in our relationships today. They're still dividing us today. Satan is continually going to get your desires against your spouses. He wants the friction to happen. Why does he want that fight between you and your spouse so bad? Because when you're doing that, you're not imaging God well to a world in need of his gospel. But listen, when you're fighting each other, you're not fighting him. When we are at war with one another, we're not at war against him. Do you see it? This might surprise you here today and you came in thinking your spouse is your adversary, your enemy. They're only your adversary, your enemy when they believe Satan's lies. When they're led astray by their heart's desires, thinking that somehow the lie that he's dangling over here will satisfy. That's right. Your real enemy, the real enemy of your marriage is not your spouse. It's the same evil ancient serpent that was there ruining the very first marriage in the garden. And it's the same sins that are ruining your marriage today. Here's where we get to the whole point of today. The whole point of today. You came in here and maybe you had the fight already this morning. The, diff- the thing that we're after today is for you to change the fight. Change the direction of the fight. We need to stop fighting one another and declare war on Satan and his lies in our marriage. That's what we're after. The question is then... If that's the goal, how do you fight? How do you fight? The simple answer is, look at how Jesus fought. First, he exchanged his wants for his father's. And first, we must exchange our wants for God's. What does God want? Matthew 19. You can turn there. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6 and 9 through 11. Gives us a little bit of a a tip as to what God wants. He wants you to fight for your marriage. Because it's important to him. It says this in verse 3 of Matthew 19. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read, this is Jesus, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 9. And I say to you, this is Jesus again, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but but only those to whom it is given. Now, I don't want to get into a long debate or or conversation about divorce and remarriage and the do's and don'ts of that. If that's even on your mind, you need to reach out for godly counsel. You need to go to your church leadership and start asking questions because this is serious business. Because what we can see in this passage, if anything we can take away from it, is that Jesus, God the Father, are serious about marriage. 
They're extremely serious about his covenant. They see it as holy and it's special. To the point even that his disciples, upon hearing this discussion about marriage, are like, who can even commit to something so holy with a broken person? How it, that's, that's a big deal. To which he replies, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, which we've had Godfrey speak about singleness. The question for us then in reading this is, do we take marriage seriously? Do we see it as holy, as sacred before God? Do we see it as something that God wants us to fight for? Are we willing to go after what he wants us to go after? Are we willing to fight for our marriage? Second, how do we fight? How do we fight like Jesus? We fight looking at what he did. We fight with gospel truth. We fuel with that gospel truth. We remember the way that Jesus fought to unite us. Let's turn to Ephesians. We're going to be jumping around in the book of Ephesians. Turn there with me. Ephesians 5 is where I'm going to start as you're turning. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and listen, and sacrifice to God. Those are some tough words. They ought to come with a warning because we need to look at what, what this meant for Jesus. Gospel love is going to be hard to live out. Look at what Jesus did. He came in a manger. He went through misery. And ultimately, he was murdered for you and I in pursuit of us. Your marriage will require dying to self kind of sacrifices. You stopping going after your desires. You laying down those desires for God's, just like Jesus did. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to make those sacrifices to fight for your marriage? Are you like, no, it's all on them. It's not on me. Are you willing to make sacrifices to fight for your marriage? Jesus taught us to fight through sacrificial love. Look at Ephesians 3, verses 23 through uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. What does gospel-fueled fighting look like? It looks like what Jesus looked like. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you say amen to that? Amen. We want God's glory in our lives. We want God's glory in our marriage. And we can fight, listen, confidently. Why? Because we have the Spirit's power involved in this fight. Whenever we are fighting for God's glory, we have the Holy Spirit power at work within us. Do you believe, do you believe that he can be victorious for your marriage? Do you believe it, that he can mend your broken marriage? continue because we have that power because we're fighting for that glory because he deserves the glory says this I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called that's worthy of the gospel friends walk worthy of the gospel with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another again in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Do you see it? Do you see it? How are we to fight like Jesus? We fight for unity in our marriages by getting low. By being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with your spouse. Just like Jesus is humble, gentle, and bears with us. Let's break this down a little bit. Humble. Be humble. Why? Because he was willing to come as a man in a manger lowly, outcast, humiliated on the cross even, to be united with you. So be humble. Be humble. Why? Because you didn't deserve that. And you didn't earn that. It was given to you freely. You have salvation by grace alone. Not because of what you deserve. So gospel humility does a few things. Gospel-driven humility abandons self-seeking, self-centered living and chooses instead to serve like Jesus served. It stops looking at the spouse and saying, fulfill my desire. Serve me. Gospel-driven humility gets off its high horse. 
It ends the game of comparing goodness or worthiness of my love. It stops the, I deserve better than this game. Because we know what we do deserve and what he has given. Gospel-fueled humility doesn't feel like it has the right to play judge. It stops keeping record of wrongs. Feeling justified to let bitterness grow. Instead, it forgives. Why? Because our sins are far from us. Gospel humility can ask for help, friends. Maybe you've never even told people what's going on in your marriage. Gospel humility can ask for help. Put simply, there can be no unity in your marriage apart from humility. You gotta get low like Christ. You gotta be gentle because Christ came gently as a baby even. I mean, look at, if you go, you have time, if you did the reading in Ephesians, go through Ephesians 4. Look at the end of Ephesians 4 again. Gospel-driven gentleness isn't belligerent or rude. It can't be because Christ wasn't. Rather, gospel love says, though I have the power to dominate, I choose not to. I choose meekness, for it's the meek that inherit the earth. Gospel-driven gentleness says, though I have the truth to share with you, spouse, I'm not going to make it a beatdown. Now, that doesn't mean you get your broom out and you sweep it under the rug because those dust bunnies come back as dust monsters. It does mean, as it says in Ephesians 4, that we need to speak the truth to each other, but we do it in love. We do it gently. We do it humbly. We don't, we don't hide behind politeness. We do need to bring these things up, but gently. To be united in love, we need the gentleness, but we also need the truth. We need to be patient. Be patient. Because God, listen, listen, you got to agree with this. Because God was patient that I might come back to him, and he continues to be patient with my slow development. Amen? Amen. So we, we need to be patient. What, is that, what does that word even mean? That word means this. Patient, listen, endurance. Anyone like that word? It's not an easy word. Patient endurance when others attack or make our lives difficult. Anyone need that in marriage? Anyone have a spouse that makes their life difficult sometimes? Nobody puts their hands up. I don't blame you. All right? Your spouse, though, will at times make your life difficult. You don't have to say amen. I know it. They will say cutting things. They will show up late. They will ruin something you love or they'll blow up too quickly or they will embarrass you. Just ask My wife, I embarrass her all the time. And she has to be patient with me and endure. Right? We all need to. Why? Because we're all works in progress. Change takes time, and the heart takes a lifetime. If you're going to seek to live alongside another person in unity and in love with a broken person in a broken place, it's going to demand significant patience going to demand more than you can do in your own strength. Bear with in love. We have to bear with one another. Why? Because Jesus bore my burdens and he continues to deal graciously with me. The word bear with is this idea to have patience with regarding errors and weaknesses of others. And we all need that in marriage. Why? Because your spouse, newsflash, I probably don't need to say that, makes mistakes many of them. And they'll continue to make mistakes. And some of them will hurt or some of them will inconvenience you. But hear hear this. Gospel love goes the extra mile. Gospel love bears another's burdens. Just like Christ bore ours out of love. So in the fight for your marriage, keep keep loving by getting low. And keep pointing up. Stay vertical. You're never going to be able to do love this way if you haven't done it this way first. You can't win this fight. You can't win against the evil one if you don't have him in the ring with you. According to Ephesians chapter 6, you're in the fight and you need his Holy Spirit. You need his armor and you need his weapons. 
We need the word of God, the truth, the sword of the spirit for the war. You can't fight Satan without it. You need to spend some time with God here and let him train you in it and teach you with it. And you need prayer. You need desperate prayer, but you need prayer of faith. Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians 4 verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, in our marriages, as we pray, we don't let our marital circumstances keep us from prayer and praying in faith for your marriage because we know something about the one we're calling out to. He rose from the grave. And he can resurrect your marriage. Do you believe it when you pray? Don't let your circumstances keep you from thanksgiving either. You have many blessings, but hear this. There is one blessing that cannot be taken away, my friend. You know where you are going. And you know that he is just and he rewards accordingly. You know the end is good. In Romans 8, we see the suffering of today isn't worth comparing to where you're going. And so you always have a reason, though your heart might be breaking, to give thanksgiving to our God. So fight for your marriage. Keep getting low, but keep relying on him. Keep pointing up. Pick up his word. Get in prayer and stay close to him. Stay close to the general in the fight. Keep trusting and keep trusting God. Get low. Stay vertical. Keep trusting God. Listen, no friend, on the dark days. And they'll come. There are going to be difficult days. Why? Because your eternal spouse is way more perfect and faithful, trustworthy and loving than your temporary spouse. And friends, I wish I could stand up here and say, if you just do everything that I say, it's going to go perfectly for you. But that's not, that's not the case. So listen, I do believe that if both sides unite in getting low, staying vertical, and pressing on, keep trusting God for their marriage, I, I believe it'll get better. But here, listen to me. There is a truth that lingers in the background. There may be one side of that marriage that does soften, that does pursue God and his glory in the marriage, but there may be another. And friends, maybe even to their dying day, continues to harden themselves towards God. Maybe the case that pride will keep them hard. Even then, even then, I can stand here and say with confidence, God won't waste your pursuit of him. God won't waste as you get low as you point up, as you keep trusting him, it will kill fleshly desires in you. And I can say this, no tears of faithfulness are ever wasted. They're never wasted because God sees and God's rewards accordingly in eternity. How can I say this? Because the kingdom of God, heaven is like this. The lowest, the servant, The one who gets down the least is the greatest and is the first in the kingdom of heaven. So keep serving your spouse, even if they don't serve you in return. Keep fighting for God's glory. Keep reflecting his gospel love and grace by getting low, staying vertical, and trusting God and his plan for your marriage. Put it another way, fight the good fight of faith Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Stop fighting against your spouse. And start fighting in unity for God's desire for your marriage. When he comes, and friends, he is coming soon. May you be found a faithful fighter fighting for God's glory in your marriage, even if they never engage in the battle with you. He's coming And we can know this, it'll be worth the struggle in the meantime. In conclusion, let's consider some questions. I want you to reflect upon this. Let this not just be a listening time, may it be a considering time. In this war zone, 
with brokenness everywhere, what do I really want for my marriage? What do you want for your marriage? Think about it. Do you believe God's glory is worth the fight for your marriage? Will you live out your married life all about you or all about God? When hurt, will you forgive as you've been forgiven? When your spouse is your adversary, will you lay yourself down in love? When your spouse is unfaithful, will you remain faithful to God? When it's hard, will you press on for eternity? When it's broken, will you stay low? Will you point up and you keep trusting God? What's true is this, living this out, living this type of gospel-fueled Love requires more than you can bring to the fight. You need the Spirit's power. It's impossible for me. It's impossible for you, but not for God. Before we call out together in desperate prayer, I started off by saying this. Your impossible is a testimony in waiting for God's glory. I had a text sent to me from a friend who was going through an absolutely broken situation in their marriage. And I want to read this testimony for you. I've asked permission to do so. I would have to say that my marriage started out broken from the moment we said our vows without me even realizing it. How could I enter into a covenant of marriage with another person when I had not first entered into a covenant with the creator of marriage? How could I surrender all that I am to my wife when I had not surrendered all that I am to God first? That separation from God manifested itself as brokenness in my marriage. Little by little, as I pursued a truly self-serving life and not the act of sacrifice that marriage was meant to be. Each act of selfishness opened the chasm between myself with both God and my wife, sometimes only by minute tremors and other times with explosive force. Much of this brokenness I was able to keep hidden from my wife. She was unaware of how truly selfish and depraved my heart really was. Even as I write this, it pains me to the point of tears to reflect on it yet at the deepest point of depravity. When I thought for sure I was forever lost in the abyss that had been created between both God and my wife, God pulled me close and said, no more. At the time, at that moment, I cried out to God in my utter brokenness and he began to restore both my soul and my marriage. How could I do anything moving forward other than live in complete surrender, in complete surrender to the one who covers me in his grace, love, forgiveness, and redemption? I am seeing very clearly now that living a God-centered life is having a direct impact on my relationship with my wife. As God has given me grace, which is renewed daily, I am using it to serve my wife rather than myself. As surely as he restores my soul, he has restored my marriage. What a good, good father. Friends, that doesn't happen apart from God's power at work. This marriage was broken seemingly beyond repair, but he got the gospel. He got what Christ did for him. And his spouse was willing to extend gospel graces to him. Let's bow in prayer. Maybe if you're sitting there and you're beside your spouse and you want to grab her hand, even if it's difficult today, maybe you have a whole family that can join hands, you can do that. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're hoping to be married one day and I just encourage you during this prayer time, call out to, to God for his will and his desire to be first in your heart. 
Maybe you're sitting there today and you're mourning the loss of your marriage. Pray that your relationship with Christ would grow and be more real and full than ever. If you're not sure what to pray for as we're praying here today, pray for the marriages of our church. Ask that God's beauty would be seen in our marriages. That he'd use them to bring more members into the church, his bride, for his glory. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we need you. I, I need you. Call out to him. Father, may your truth win my heart today. Lord, give me new desires in my heart. Your desires my marriage. Father, may your spirit empower this weak and weary man today. Lord, renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to give up. Father, may your word combat the enemy's lies today. Lord, may my Bible time with you be more frequent and fresh than ever, that you might renew my mind and I might be in awe of you on a regular basis and not be tempted so frequently. Father, may your armor be my protection today. Help me to wake up each day and put on Christ. May his gospel be my fuel for each fight. Father, may your reward be my focus. May may the joy that you set before me strengthen my resolve and my legs as I try to engage my marriage, Lord God. Gird me with your strength. Father, may my marriage be a testimony, a parable that glorifies your name. That a world in need might see and see you. God, may may you be beautiful, for you are beautiful. May I show your love to be steadfast, for it is steadfast. Receive praise for my marriage. Have your will done, I pray. In Jesus' name.